the blast from our past network. Hey everybody, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that this interview with Richard Wank, the director of Vamp, is a part of our Patreon-exclusive Interviews After Dark series. If you join our Patreon page under that tier, you immediately unlock about 20-plus more interviews like this one with other unique and awesome individuals from our nostalgic youth. We've talked to everybody from Jeanette Goldstein to Peter Jason to Stephen Jeffries to Sean Whalen to William Sadler to Jonathan Stark and many more and more coming as well. So please consider checking out our Patreon page and that's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark and supporting the show. And a huge thank you to everyone who has already signed up and has joined our page. We couldn't do this without you. Now, without further ado, Richard Wank. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the writer and director of Vamp. He's also the writer of 16 Blocks, The Equalizer, The Magnificent Seven, and countless more. Writer, director, producer, Richard Wank. Richard Wank, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We are, um, well, it's safe to say we're probably not the biggest fans in the world. I'm sure there's people that are even bigger fans of Vamp, but but we are uh, we are big fans of the movie Vamp and your overall career. And uh, it's really really a pleasure to have you on our show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, and it's great to um, know you made a movie people still watch. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we're actually going to be always re- the case. <laughs> True. We're going to be recording. This is actually a unique experience for us because we're going to be recording our review uh, right after we, we get done talking to you. And usually it's usually the other way around. So it'll be nice to bring some of the, the knowledge that we discussed today to that review as well. Um, but as a little bit of a spoiler, I just wanted to say that this is a movie that I uh, just discovered recently um, because of the show. And it kind of happens that way. Uh, Zach will introduce me to a movie that I had never seen before. And I'm a child of the 80s and I grew up in, in the 80s. And I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't see it because I don't think I would have understood the humor when I was younger. But I, as a, as a, from my experience now as a 43-year-old man in the year 2020, I have to say, Vamp is a fantastic film. Yeah. Uh, the humor, the subjects hold up so well. And so as a first-time viewer in 2021, I was utterly blown away by the experience. I, I, as, I couldn't believe how fun it was. So you're saying it's, it was ahead of its time. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Certainly on that opening weekend. It, 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 it well, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the thing, you know, sometimes obviously, and, and we'll talk about that too, but just the fact that, um, you know, you, th- this film has stayed the test of time and still gets talked about in 2021. Uh, I mean, I have a deep history with it. I watched it probably when I was too young to be watching movies like this, but I had an older brother who uh, <laughs> turned me on to stuff that, that I shouldn't be watching. Uh, but thank God I did because, because here I am some odd, 
so so many years later and you're on our show and we're going to blow up your ego if uh if you're okay ready. go ahead <laughs> <laughs> um i mean you, your your career has spanned quite a bit and it's still going strong but but uh can you can we go back to when vamp like the inception of vamp and how it all came about sure sure um i had well i think i believe that the the, if you if you went back even further than the initial meeting I had with uh, Don Borchers at uh, New World, um, I believe that somehow, some way, and I, I, you'd have to ask Don, but I had made a um, a short musical film uh, that started sort of at NYU and 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 continued after I left there uh, called Dracula Bites the Big Apple, and it was very late 70s that's when i love new york campaign was going on and uh love oh, yeah. at first bite um was not out yet that was the one thing i do remember we made up this story about dracula runs out of blood in transylvania and he goes to new york because it's hot it's, it's called a hot-blooded city or something and and yep. um, while we were sort of prepping it love at first bite came out and so it was the whole and dracula with frank langella was on broadway so it was all that stuff Get to uh, Carnegie. Let me out of here. Uh, can, you, can, you, can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? What the hell are you doing? Uh, Don't you uh, see we're in the middle of a musical number here? We got, we got a camera going. We got, we got music. Oh, I'm sorry. We got the actors already here. What are you doing? Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Please, I'm, hey, okay, goodbye. Hey, your cab. My what? Your cab. My coffin! Is this your first trip to New York? Speak English? It'll be a hundred bucks. I took a uh, crew that was making after-school specials uh, um, that I was a PA on, and I took them and all gave them better jobs to make my movie, my little movie. And uh, it came out okay. It was funny, and 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 but the, the the news was that HBO had just launched, and they needed interstitial things between you know from an hour forty to to the next hour, they needed something to fill it. And yep. I boy, I fit right in there. So they, oh. they bought it and um, they, they, they played it, but the best part was in the TV guide. So I get to look in the TV guide and say, Oh, at uh, two 20 in the morning, uh, my movie's <laughs> late. And um, I have to, I have to tell you really quick, you're taking us back to a really interesting time right now, because you mentioned three things that really stand out. One after school specials, which were for those that don't know, uh, were the staple for kids yes. back in the day. It was like yes. the, the life lesson at, at when you get home at the, in, instead of watching cartoons yes. and then That's you, right bring up HBO and, and filler in between HBO when HBO would just do the, the solid blocks, the two thirty yes. and the, and now they just kind of continuously go in. Yes. Um, and, and so in between those blocks, they would fill it with whatever content, which you probably can access on YouTube now, but, but it's kind of hard to come by. And then it you is. said TV guides, obviously, which is oh, uh, my God. Yeah, uh, that was, the good old days. You made it when you were in the TV guide. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, Talk about blowing your ego up. It's like, I'm on television. So, uh, <laughs> but I think somehow through a friend and the thing, it, it got to Don Borchers and New World. And um, uh, 
um, he, uh, uh, I came out to LA and we met and um, he pitched me, um, well, what he really did was he went into the closet and came out with an easel and a poster. Okay. And it said, vamp, just exactly the same as a the thing. And he said, I need a movie to go with it. And it has to have strippers, college kids and vampires in it. And if you can <laughs> write it, you can direct it. Wow. That was the deal. So, um, and hey, you know, so um, I want to say I, I wrote a whole outline and then it took me three days to write the movie um, that you see over, over a long weekend. Um, um, and those were the those were the caveats I had to work with. And I think the only really um, the, the first thing that popped in was that I should should shrink the time frame down here on this one. <laughs> you know, um, uh, what was it originally? I think when I first conceived it, it was, you know, um, you know, it was over, you know, a couple of days and nights and they were, mm. it was a whole adventure thing. And yeah. And I thought, well, oh, I know what happened. We, we were researching the, um, I had never um, really known the strip club culture and what they look like or anything. Not that I hadn't been to one, but I just don't know. Yeah. And I was 27 or 28 something. So we went to one on, on uh, La Cienega out here. In, in Los Angeles, and I'll never forget it. They had like the stages in the middle of the room, like three of them, and on the against the walls were all the booths. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> it, it wasn't very interesting, I have to say. It was pretty depressing, but um, <laughs> they are. They are, they are yeah. Um, but what I remember was you could see across the room, right? So yeah. um, everybody was looking at the girls on the stages, and there here comes a waitress with a tray of I want to say 30 drinks mm-hmm. and she dropped it the tray and not one head turned <laughs> and that was the, that was it I was going you can do anything here in this room and no one will pay attention to it except for that so there there became the uh, conceit of these uh, vampires uh, able to to do whatever they wanted to do in these places well, wow. as, as someone who has been to a, a, quite a few strip clubs, I will say that the <laughs> one in Vamp uh, looks the coolest. That is definitely one of the cooler looking strip clubs, especially with the lights on the table and yes. everything. I yes. love that. I don't take any credit for that. That's uh, production design with Elliot Davis. I think it was Elliot Davis, uh, who's our DP, um, came up with that idea of being able to light um, larger sections of the, of the club so we could move quickly. We only had 20 five days or 26 days to shoot the movie so so you know and it were six day weeks so it was a lot of work and a lot of setups and a lot of things um a lot of it was storyboarded and things but um uh it's just a lot of material to shoot in a small amount of time and those were the sort of things to do to be able to move quickly and but before we move past the the script and the writing process what would you say is like the percentage of what you wrote versus like what's on screen is it pretty much near us after you've made the change of it taking place in one night and everything is it is it close to the script exactly okay i wrote it and i shot it i mean it was exactly what i wrote um the only thing that changed honestly was Grace's uh, the casting of Grace Jones and her her signature number, which mm. was written as a whole different sort of, you know, it was more like from dusk till dawn night like number. And um, when when we saw what she was going to do, and that was all Grace, 
and all her team with Keith Haring and Andy Warhol and all those people, I had to sort of adjust on the fly that the reaction and the way you shot it would be far different than I had, had written. So that was the one thing that, that completely changed in terms of not content, but style and, uh, and look um, and reaction. As you remember, the reaction was sort of stunned reaction. Yeah. Which was, oh, sort, it, of, which was sort of my reaction when I first saw it. And, and it was mine and my wife's reaction when we watched it for the first time. And we were both, we were both like, and I knew I could feel it in my gut. I was like, is this weird or do I love this? And yeah. then when everyone cheered, I was like, yes. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've, even though I've seen the movie two times now, I've watched that scene about 10 times now because I love that song and I love yes. just the vibe of it and everything. It's, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I mean, that's Grace Jones. You know, we know that. But wow, oh, wow, what a powerful, powerful scene. It actually elevates the movie in a way, because if, if, you, if you did what I did, which was more of a sexy, sort of alluring, sensual sort of thing, it would have been just a little bit better than the others, you know, would have, you know. Yeah. Um, and this just sort of, this was sort of like the rest of the movie, which was odd and weird and everything else. So it fit right in. And it was obviously, again, all out of her mind and all out of her stuff and we were very fortunate to have her as a collaborator uh in a way she was very into it and um uh uh and that was very helpful i think that's what makes your movie so unique is there's so many moments in this film that kind of take you off guard where you think it's going to go one direction and it really doesn't and yeah. um i mean i'm, I'm thinking all over the map from the the scene in the diner with with snowflake and his gang and thinking oh they're going to decimate these guys and whoa i did not expect that to go the way it goes or you know duncan's kind of evolution throughout the movie or de-evolution i guess if you want to say yes. yeah. and uh you know it's such a unique film uh, as a kid i i remember it being on hbo quite often and waking up in the morning i had to get up really early with my mom she was um uh, had to be at work by seven. So she got me up at like six in the morning. And, you know, at that time on HBO, they were still showing some R-rated movies. Oh, they were. Okay. <laughs> and I'd always wake up and it would be the final scene with uh, with uh, Keith and Allison in the sewer. Sure. And always that final scene stood out to me. And uh, I think at, at an early age, I developed a crush on on Alice and Dee Dee Pfeiffer. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I love this. Join the what club. is this movie? Join the club. <laughs> he was like the muse of the movie, frankly. So. I got to I got to imagine there's such a like, a again, I keep going back to the word unique. And I think that's why this movie stayed the test of time, because it, it, it draws out, you know, uh, you know, things that other movies haven't done. Or, you know, you look at From Dusk Till Dawn and you go, oh, this is very heavily influenced by vamp <laughs> if you talk to don and he's told me the story and i don't have it correctly but um they actually had to call him and sort of negotiate the fact that they were had taken the kind of premise of it um and wanted to use it and felt they were stepping over a line and i think he made some kind of arrangement of give whatever but yeah there was a vamp influence sort of somehow that i remember that um uh it, it, it was a whole different movie and a really terrific movie. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he told me that story many years later. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that because it was always the number and the thing and the, the, you know, the isolated place and the whole thing was very similar. So, oh, totally, totally yeah. down to just, yeah, the, 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 the sultriness. And I guess yes. like you look at that scene with the, with Selma Hayek dancing. Yes. And yes. 
I mean, Grace Jones is iconic. She really is. And she hadn't, she hasn't done that many movies, but just the fact that if you, if you go to that artistic perspective of Keith Haring and Andy Warhol and, and the fact that, uh, you know, what was it? Dolph Lundgren's body. Yes. Yep. The- <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, but that, then I go into the colorful aesthetic of, uh, you know, you use the pink and the greens, the neons yes. throughout this movie. And, yeah. I love um, that. I love that so much. The, the look of it, all the outside stuff it make, it creates this such a, and uh, like a, an alternate reality, a surreal feel to the film that, just makes it so interesting than if it was just, you know, normal lighting or whatever, you know? I, I give all the credit to Elliot Davis. It was his mm. first um, feature film as a, as a, you know, as the main DP. He, had, he was a camera operator for, I, I, I can't remember, you'd have to check, but he was, you know, very, very, you know, well-renowned camera operator. Uh, he eventually went on to shoot great movies and stuff, but this was his first. And that scene I had written where the car spins around and then it ends up, you know, in some desolate place. He, yeah. he, it was his, he started thinking, I think we have to change everything in the way this looks. And I want to do this because it's, it'll be so much better and white light and it's real hard to light at night and everything. So he, really his sort of aesthetic brought that. Uh, and I give him all the credit for that. Um, and I like that scene with the car because it creates, uh, you know, when they, it's all done, they land in this new area of town and it's, it's like an Oz uh, thing. And then yeah. I, it, yeah. And then at the end of the movie with the rainbow and everything, I was like, uh, again, if I saw this when I was younger, I wouldn't have gotten any of that. And I probably would have kind of just, you know, when you're 10 or something, just like, okay, no, but now I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is genius. Like, I love everything that that's happening here, you know, it's, yeah. and, and especially that end scene where they walk off and, and everyone just starts coming to life and yes. everything. It's such a beautiful shot that you, so many shots in this movie, you just don't see anything like this anymore, you know? No, I, 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 you know, I, you know, here's the thing. I, I grew up in uh, the 70s watching movies and that, that was the height of the uh, uh, revival houses. So you would get to see, you know, 35 millimeter prints of, of uh, Frank Capra movies and, and Billy Wilder movies and uh, John Ford movies and um, Alfred Hitchcock movies. And um, so, uh, and then Scorsese was hitting right around there yep. too, right? So you've got yep. Taxi Driver and, and Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah. yeah, Mean Streets and stuff. So. You know, I and 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 yet at the same time, John Sales was writing Piranha, and they mm-hmm. were having these, you know, the the Halloweens and stuff. So I didn't really tend to gravitate towards. I loved Halloween, um, uh, and but when I when I got the premise, it just I just chuckled. I just thought, I don't know how you mix these things without being kind of like ha- having some sort of humor in it. Yeah. And I remember yeah. when they were trying to market the movie, they were trying to figure out what was it. Was it a horror movie with some comedy? Was it a comedy with horror? Was what was it exactly? And I said, I don't. Know, I just think it is what it is. I don't know if you have to define it. Um, it was just my sensibility at the time. I thought, and I'm I'm a big. I think I I don't know if you know that, but I started when I first started writing. I was writing those choose your own adventure books, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. um, they're really hard to write because you have to write like a lot of stories from one premise. And it's really not easy to keep it interesting. So I, I tend to get bored and, and I tend to see things coming in a lot of movies, um, just for having seen a lot of movies and, and read a lot of you know, uh, literature. So that was part of the other thing, was I had to keep entertaining myself. 
So when you see it, when it turns left and you expect it to turn right, that's me going, I know it, you really turn right here, but I think, uh, you know, I've seen that before. Let's do this. Let's, let's have the little girl fly at him. And, you know, let's, <laughs> I love you know, that. Let's, let's do stuff <laughs> like that. Let's have an albino gang with, you know, it's, it's just like, sort of like, just to keep it, um, keep you off balance. And and I do I got to give you respect uh, the the one young lady who had the the you know the fake teeth at the in the diner yeah. scene you can tell she had it in her mouth the whole time she just even yeah. though she didn't open them and I was like good for her she kept yeah. them she kept it in there the whole time <laughs> she's a wonderful actress and was a um, uh, we became very close friends and stayed friends um, all right on uh, all through since then um, it's great great spirit and it, you know it's a it was one of those productions where. The, the spirit of it from everybody was was um, all wonderful. <laughs> everyone was having fun. Everyone was into it. Every, no, there was no drama. There was no, uh, you know, uh, and it was long hours and you could ex would expect that, but there wasn't. Chris and Robert and Dee Dee and uh, Sandy Barron and uh, Brad Logan and all those people were just like, and Grace, they're just into it. So I was like, it was, so it was my first feature film I was very fortunate to have that. And, and that's something we've kind of cued in on on these uh, these cult movies. Uh, we, we do think that that X factor is one of the reasons they stand this, the test of time is because you can tell that everyone behind the scenes, no matter how the movie turned out, you can tell they tried and they loved what they were doing. And you yeah, can yeah. actually you can feel the love coming through it. And we've all know movies that were a nightmare to make and we, we've heard about them and everything. You can feel that. But with some of these films and I and think Vamp is one of them, you can feel the love that everyone put in to it you can feel it just coming off the screen it's it's palpable in in a way yeah and again that a lot of it is you know you're fortunate when you cast these actors and actresses um that you get that spirit and that they do buy in and you know i hopefully it comes out of from me to them but you know i've been on other movies where you're like well they sounded great and now they're you know it's not that sort of thing it's a job it's it's harder so again everything just sort of lined up with everybody's and everybody got along and everybody liked each other and helped each other. And it was really, you know, a, sort of one of those iconic experiences you don't get much of. It seems that way. I, I was I was going to say, too, and in, in kind of circling back to Choose Your Own Adventure books, which are still a staple in my home because I have a seven-year-old son who he's now reading my old Choose Your Own Adventure books from back in the uh -huh. day. And, um, and one movie that stands out to me that has a similar connection to that it, in the sense that, you know, you turn left, you're going to go into this wacky character. You turn yeah. right and you're going to do this is After Hours. And I thought yes. After Hours and Vamp would be a great double feature. Well, you, here, I don't know if you know this, but um, Roger Ebert compared Vamp to After Hours in his review. Hmm, wasn't really a great review, but <laughs> it wasn't a really horrible review. And he referenced After Hours that he said the movie reminded him of After Hours and that it had this. And, and so he liked a lot of it and ultimately he felt it about whatever. But I was very proud of that uh, comparison. So, As you should be. And I and I will say as someone who watched, uh, you know, at the movies consistently. Well, that was yeah. no, that was the other one. But um, uh, but watching Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert yeah. back in the day. They were never too fond of uh, horror films and sci-fi yeah. films, so I, I have a feeling it. You know, I would never take that personally. I guess, but <laughs> yeah, I didn't take it personally. I thought, good. you know, it is a genre picture, and it's not for everybody or whatever. And it was, yeah. you know, it was made with a lot of heart and a lot of good intention. So I always think you can tell the difference between movies that aren't. 
right? That they're, they're just done to fill a slot or to yeah. make a paycheck or something. This was really done because we all really thought it was good and we wanted to make something fun. Um, and I think we eventually, you know, people came around to seeing that. that, that came through, you know, we weren't just there making a buck or, you know, filling, you know, everybody's doing these movies, we'll do one. It was, it was something different, I think. Uh, and nowadays, if you tell someone like horror comedy, everyone's like, okay, I, I get it. And, yeah. and, but back then, you know, that wasn't, uh, you know, like you said, it was like, well, is it horror or is it comedy? You're like, yeah. well, it is just what it is. Yeah. But I think it is movies like uh, Vamp and Fright Night and, and all the other classics that, you know, you guys put it on the map to, to create actually horror comedy as its own genre. And you can have R-rated horror elements. You can go from someone getting their, like AJ getting his neck just ripped out, you know, to just something, <laughs> the next scene is just uh, something funny happening, yeah. you know? And it's a, and you're like, oh, it's never, never disruptive. It's never confusing. You're always like, cool. Okay. I'm, I'm following along with this. And nowadays it's like, cool, horror comedy. That's it. But vamp, I mean, vamp, I think pushed that forward. Maybe. I, I think that uh, to me, the, the comedy helped the suspense and the, and the thrills totally. and the surprises in totally. the horror. And I think that it, it, it disarms you to allow that. Otherwise it's a one note. And by the way, the premise is, is sort of, you know, you have to, you have to remember the premise, right? It's, you know, they're running a, uh, a blood operation in a, in a strip club in a, you know, so, and they have a whole operation of getting rid of IDs and bodies and cars and everything else. So it's, you have to really take that into account when you, when you, when you approach this. You know? And, and Vic's, uh, you know, the, the maitre d' of the place, uh, Vic's rationale is that, you know, we are, you know, providing a service basically for society. And I was like, yes. I like that. And I, I, you know, you kind of hear that nowadays type of thing. But yes. one thing that I liked about Vic was when Keith was like, but why us? He's like, I'm sorry. It was just a miscommunication. Yeah, yeah. And I, I liked his honesty right <laughs> no there. Offense. I really no liked Vic's honesty. We fucked up. We made a mistake. We fucked up. <laughs> my bad. Listen, it was okay. essentially it was my bad. Yeah. <laughs> you you have you have care actors in this film that um you know I think today's audience might not necessarily recognize, but people right. who are fans of cinema and and genre films uh, will definitely recognize. Uh, I mean, there was a patron in the in the strip club when. Uh, the, the bald guy uh, who's kind of leering at the strippers oh, yeah. and I'm like, Oh, that guy was in uh, Ferris Bueller's day yes. off, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I, but I coming back to that when, you know, you went to the club and in, in off of La Cienega uh, as a, well, not as a kid, but as when I, I remember going to my first strip club and not knowing, like I was quote unquote forced into it by my brother. Yeah. And as you got to go to a strip club, you're 18, you know? Yeah. And I'm in there and I'm like, I took my eyes off the girls at one point and looked around and I'm like, Ooh, this doesn't feel good. You yeah. never want to do that. You never oh, want to do and that. And so you kind of capture that moment in the movie when, when you cut to different people watching the dancers yeah. on stage. Cause you're like, that's how it feels. That's, that's who's looking at these, you know, women on stage. That's like dropping the, the, the tray and no one looking. It's like a little, yeah. you know, it's a little creepy. And it, um, it and is like, and the other thing was, I don't think anybody at that, at least back then, it's different today, I think. Um, but back then, I don't think anyone goes, honey, I'm going to go down to the strip club. We'll be back in a couple hours. No one tells anybody. They just stop on the way home from work. So you've got all that sort of isolation that, that occurs that allows this to, to, to happen. And I thought that was kind of smart, right? You know, these, yeah. no, one's, no one's advertising they're going. And if they come in in a group, they leave them alone. If they come in alone, they're probably not, didn't tell anybody where they'd be. So yeah. 
it's so, really perfect. It's really perfect, perfect in that way, um, on many ways. But one thing, you know, you, you brought up uh, Grace Jones's song that's played in the movie and Corey was saying how much he loves it. And uh, one movie we've covered on podcasting after dark that we love that shares a connection to this movie is tough turf. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so in the opening scene, I hadn't seen this movie in probably 20 years. And I watched it quite a few times in the past week because on our show, we break down every movie scene by scene oh. and it's very like deep dive. Um, and I'm watching the the scene when they first go into the club and I'm like, I really recognize, I kind of go in cold and then I do a little yeah. bit of research after I'm watching the scene and, and, and uh, when, when Keith and Duncan hit the club and the music that's playing, I'm like, I recognize that band. Where, wait a minute. Is that, is that Jack Mack and the heart attack? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who is the LA? They are a LA staple they were. people that don't know. Tough Turf was produced by Don 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 Borcher. So exactly, so yeah. you know he's bringing you know his experience and who he works with and all the stuff that works, Jonathan Elias and all that stuff like that to to this movie. And the one great thing was I had him sort of he had my back. I didn't. I, I he never creatively got in the way of anything. He never asked for anything. He never suggested anything. Um, uh, he just made sure I was on time, on budget. And um, um, and getting everything we needed, uh, which is great, you know. So I couldn't have again all the way down the line. Couldn't have asked for more support. And we we know some of the you know the Grace Jones things and the the vibrator story and stuff like that. But just and and I know that uh, you know she was there for rehearsals. Uh, the 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 Arrow the Arrow uh, Blu-ray has a fantastic uh, featurette on there. Um, but just. You know, in, in general, like that had to have been daunting, like having this be your, your first major film and then having Grace Jones on there as well with her entourage and whatnot. Uh, how like how was that just that experience? Like, what did that feel like? Well, I would go back to um, my experience before the movie, which was I had uh, worked for um, a very great um, Broadway librettist named Michael Stewart, who wrote Bye Bye Birdie, Carnival, Hello Dolly, 42nd Street, Barnum. I mean, he just was like the guy, right? And I had worked for him and I watched him work and I watched one of his shows get put on its feet all the way. So I was, the creative process was sort of in, 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 imbued in me, right? Um, and the collaborative process. 
Then I got a job from that to work on the movie Annie and I was John Huston's assistant. And so I got wow. to sit and talk to him. And one of the things he said to me, wow. I noticed he never blocked a scene without the actors. In other words, he let the actors block the scene. So I never saw that before. I assumed the director would say, you get up, you do this. He goes, yeah. he, he turned to me and he said, you know, uh, why do you hire them then? You know, they, they know more than me about their doing. And, you know, and not, he, he adjusts if he, they walk too far. Oh, I don't want to cover that or whatever. But generally speaking, he's using their thing. So I, I always re- remembered that. So when Grace came aboard, she came aboard with, with, you know, I had storyboards and I had the thing and she had her ideas and it seemed very natural to me. And I was not, didn't, I didn't feel overwhelmed or, or, or daunted by it. I just thought it was pretty natural to, to, to collaborate with someone and was excited that she was excited, right? Yeah. Um, so as you saw in the rehearsal footage, she had no problem crawling all over me and <laughs> doing the shots and I'm trying to explain it, but she's doing this. And you're like, she's doing this in rehearsal, imagine, you know. Um, and then she had all these ideas about where she came from and her whole per- all, you know, previous lives and what would be in her lair and all that stuff, which was wonderful because it was not in the script in terms of that way. Um, it was written as, you know, she had many lives, but n- nothing visual to go along with it. She brought that. She brought her intuition and her, her backstory with it and then brought her, her artistic team to come in and help do that. And it's so funny. I assumed that was normal at the time. You know, yeah. I'm a 28-year-old kid, 29-year-old kid going, oh, Keith Harry's going to do that and Andy's going to put the thing on the wall. And <laughs> great. That's, I thought all movies are like that. So a little <laughs> did I know. So Again, All movies have Andy Warhol help, helping yeah, the set. Yeah, production designing uh, her whole room. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> you know, Keith Haring, Keith Haring, an iconic artist of like. It's really, I have to say again, it's really wild that you it have all these elements in this film, and I hope that you know we have a pretty large audience, and I hope that we can continue to to remind people of the importance of this movie. Because it is really important on so many levels. I mean, we've only talked for a half hour now and we've gotten so deep on a movie that at the time was kind of dismissed, you know, and, and um, that's a beautiful testament to, to the art. And, and you talked about, you know, so yeah, some movies are just made and they're done and it's, it's a cash cow, Mm -hmm. you know, and nowadays it's to sell a video game or back in the nineties, it was to sell action figures or whatever, what have you. Um, but then there was this time, which hopefully will remind new audiences that it was truly about creating something unique and special. Um, the performances, like you said, are, are so genuinely authentic. Um, th- there's never a moment where you feel like, oh, that's just forced or, oh, that this, 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 this feel, this, this doesn't feel right to me. Um, like I said, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, Allison, uh, Amaretto, as if you will, she, uh, brings such a unique charm and her style the style like you could do that now and people would be like oh yeah that's lady gaga you know yes. uh, it, it's yeah. really it's so you know and then keith's like scooby-doo mystery archie comics look to him that he has mm-hmm. yep but then he busts out a bow and arrow and you're like this guy's yeah. badass you yeah. know and yeah. and of course aj is like well he's cool looking you know but but dim-witted in that way of like oh he's gonna get a little too cocky is really exactly yeah yeah Yeah. it's just it's so unique and and so 
Um, I think the fact that we're talking about it now and we, you know, we have these elements that still stand true today. I think you could put that Jack, Jack Mack song back on the, on the radio on Spotify. It would be <laughs> popular. I mean, I dig that kind of music now. So <laughs> yeah, no, you could, um, you know, I think that uh, just to comment on what you said, I think that the, the movies, good things stand the test of time. I think that whether they, whether they're successful in their moments, whether it's a song yeah. or a book or a play or a movie or whatever, and they get lost in a, you know, it's released at the wrong time or whatever. Um, but ultimately I think talent and, 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 and things that are well done and smart and good, they'll survive. Um, and then, and, and eventually, you know, and I, there's a bunch of movies I still watch that people never heard of. And I go, you never saw October sky or local hero or this oh. and that. Right. And I'm like, they haven't, but, but there's, there's an opportunity. They're so good. And when people see them, they pass it on and they talk about them. And so I, 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 you know, fortunately, I guess vamp is one of them. It came out in a time when, um aliens had just come out and the fly opened that weekend so i mean yeah. we were just crushed by big studio similar genre movies yeah. um the small budget movie um um uh so but i've always people always come up to me oh, i love that movie i like that movie i love that moment i love this i love when he did that he ate the cockroaches or whatever those things were <laughs> And you're like, oh, good, because movies are moments. You know, movies are made up of moments. And we always remember the moments. We don't remember the crash of the plane or the... We never stop and pause at, at action beats. We always stop and pause at, at movies at The Godfather or The Shawshank or something. All about characters and moments that make you smile or whatever. So maybe it has enough of them to keep it going. I, I can tell you my moment when I knew that I loved this film. Uh, it was when Keith oh, is going, no. call the police. Everybody here is uh, vampires. <laughs> and someone just yells out, doesn't make them bad people. Yeah. And I was like, this is genius. This is hilarious. <laughs> and and I was like, and I loved AJ so much. Uh, I loved his his character. I thought he was fantastic. Um, but I liked all the little side things. And because Zach will tell you, my, my favorite thing about movie is the world building so i loved all the stuff that katrina all these like you know hints of katrina's past uh mm. this uh, the sarcophagus and stuff I was like oh, that's so cool mm -hmm. i want to look around at it but then you have like vic and vlad and how vlad has all these net like stab yeah. wounds in his back and i was like oh is it from him like picking people up and them trying to stab him like what is it from but you you don't know. And that's, that's okay. It's okay. Not having answers to these questions because, you know, and I, and I think your movie does a great job of it is that it gives you all these little hints and you're like, go have fun with it. I, I yep. Whatever it is, just go have fun with it. But it's fun little layered pieces that give us a reason to go back and, and rewatch it and reconsume it and then re sort of figure out what does this mean and what was, you know, Vlad's backstory with Katrina and all that kind of stuff. And I, those, you know, you're talking about moments. Those are all the little micro moments that I loved about this film. And I think a lot of movies, maybe probably with bigger budgets and stuff that, don't even allow for these little micro moments to even happen because like, yeah, let's just get to the next 20 minute car chase sequence, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that again, if I, you know, if I learned anything, it's if you care about the people in the movie and you engage with them, you pretty much can do anything you want then. I think you will, you will be with them. So a, a car chase becomes more than a car chase with people you care about 
A car totally. taste, you don't care. It's just noise. And it's, we've seen good ones and great ones and stuff. But um, uh, when you put a, a person that you care about, they can just walk down a hallway towards an elevator that's open and you would go, don't go in there and all that stuff. Whereas if you didn't care or you didn't root for them or you didn't want to, you want to see more of them, you would be on the edge of your seat. And I think those are all the things that, you know, you try to implement in these kind of movies. Well, you just hit on something that I, I, I want to tack on as well. The scene when, when Keith and Al, Allison and Duncan are in the car and, and they're in the, the, the tow truck and the garbage truck are going to kind of collide yeah. on them. It's such a tension builder. It really yeah. is. Like I, I was, I again watched it a couple times in the past week, and I'm just like, whoa, this this scene really works. You know, where you're wondering when's this guy gonna get in his car yeah. and take off? Yeah. <laughs> get in there, go, 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 and stop hitting the other cars yes. near you. <laughs> yep. But I think what it does it for me personally is when Allison, you know, she says, Keith, like, come on, what are we gonna, you know, she just says his name, and yeah. it's like, or no, and then Duncan's like, guys, like, what? Yeah. Oh shit, what's going to happen, you know? And, and then yeah. it just does. It's so impactful. And just such a short scene, really. Cool. And even yeah. to that when when Duncan gets changed, you know, and he's yeah. like, "Guys," and you're like, "Oh no, I don't, yeah. you know, like I don't want Duncan to die." And even yeah. if he is, a, you know, but it was it's great. And then when he does like he's like on fire and he's yeah. still like, "Guys." Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, let's be honest. Keith and AJ never liked him anyway, so they just <laughs> used <laughs> <laughs> um, We like them though. We like Yeah, them. yeah. Oh, he's so great. He's oh, so Gen great. He's awesome. He's yeah. awesome. Um, I, I, I want to, obviously we can always come back to vamp, but I want to jump into the, but you personally, because you, your career has, has continued to go on and you focus more on your writing, uh, in, in recent times and writing like remakes basically for a lot of films. Um, but, but done in a really, really cool way. And after vamp ended and you, and you did a few more films after that, like attack of the five foot two woman. And, <laughs> um, did you, was writing your always your first and foremost love and passion? No, I was always going to be a director. I think what happened was, or what did happen was that um, uh, uh, getting a movie made um, got harder and harder, um, mm -hmm. and getting uh, and writing a movie and then directing it sucked a lot of energy out of you um, just to try to get it off the ground. Um, and um, I did, uh, it took me eight years to get just a ticket going. I had written that not long after VAMP. Wow. And um, uh, it bounced from studio to studio and I was going to direct it. And I believe really, it was a personal story and all the stuff like that. And that took a lot out of me. And I, um, and at some point I did a, um, a movie for Joel Silver that was going to go and it didn't go. It was Andy Garcia and Jennifer Lopez and, you know, mm. just, and that's when I met Dick Donner and, and um, I wrote 16 blocks for him. And yeah. at that point um, uh, that changed everything, I think, because um, I was going to direct 16 blocks and he was going to produce oh. it, but okay. he loved it so much. He wanted to direct it. And I thought, well, I think <laughs> it'll probably be better if he does it. So rest in um, peace. we worked together. We became very close friends. And um, when, when the movie got funded and, and Bruce came aboard and most came aboard. Um, I ended up going to the auditions and reading with the actors. And I started, uh, and, he, and, he, and they called me and said, you're gonna stay in the same hotel Dick is at and you're gonna go to the set. I basically sat next to him the whole movie and sat next to him the whole editing process and sat next to him during previews. And I thought, 
this is much better than having directed all that and edited all that and done it. But yet I'm here for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, having my voice heard, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the movie the way I want to see it. Um, and um, sort of started to like that. I like that idea. Um, I think at, at that point it was just like, I don't, I can't write and then direct it. That takes a lot out of you because ultimately when you write a movie for me, anyway, I've made the movie already. I made it in my head. I've shot it. I'm right. It, my scripts look like a movie. They don't look like a script. So they are, you can see it. And I don't want, then you're going to have to go physically redo it um, with people that may not agree with you with time constraints and things like that. It just seemed easier to do that way. So I, I sort of enjoyed being a storyteller um, and writing scripts that were visual and, um, I see the movies that I, that they do make of my scripts and they look like my scripts. So, uh, That's great. Thought, and some of them look better when you have an Antoine Fuqua or Dick Donner or Simon mm-hmm. West or something, you're like, wow. So, well, well that's that, a really humble, humble way of looking at it. I think in this business, when there's so much ego <laughs> involved yeah. and like, I want to do it all. And I got, and again, and, and obviously rest in peace to Richard Donner, who had recently passed away. Uh, yeah. You know, you're working with quite possibly, one of the most iconic directors of, you know, the last 30 years, 30, 40 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And, and so that's a great thing to be attributed to or connected to of all those recent movies that you've, you've done uh, of all the remakes in particular, like Magnificent Seven and the Equalizer. And, uh, and I wouldn't call it a remake. I just call it a film. Oh, version. So the Equalizer is not a remake. It's yeah. a, no, it's not. It's not. It's it, not it, the movie version of which by the way love i love that movie oh good because i love that show i i I grew up watching that show um and it was such a nice it's a nice kind of like reintroduction to a series a a character that many people had forgotten about i think uh or you know today's audience Yeah, I remember the show and I remember getting the, someone um, who were named Nameless um, sent me the Equalizer five years before I I got that movie. And uh, I remember looking at it going, I remember the show and it's a good TV show. It's a really perfect TV show. Yeah. It's not a movie. It's not a movie. Then like two couple of years later, uh, Todd Black and Jason Blumenthal, escape artists, sent me Equalizer, and I and I said it's a TV show, and they said, "Well, Denzel's interested." I said, "Oh, maybe it's not a TV show." Greatest <laughs> uh, actor well, of you our just, generation. You just throw out. Well, so what happened was I um, I thought, well, how do you do this, right? Because it's ultimately a guy helping people over yeah. and over and over again. So how do you? Well, you go. It's an origin story, right? Mm. Um, but I don't like the character. In, it's not that I don't like it. I think the character in the TV show was a, was a, a white guy who was a British Secret Service agent. Yeah. Who put ads in the paper. And, um, and that wasn't interesting um, in, in today. Um, so who would he be today and what would he do and where did he come from? And talk about the, the, the idea that you don't 
explain things. You don't know where he came from and you don't know exactly what he did, uh, but you sense it and you can mm -hmm. talk about it. So that was one of the things I came up with. The other thing was that I had read a, uh, I was reading the Wall Street Journal, I think, and they had a uh, Gallup poll in it. And they did, they asked Americans to name the five most important things that would make their lives better. And the answer, number one answer was not health, it was not wealth, and it was not love. It was justice. Mm. And I thought, and this was right around, you know, the, 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 the Wall Street collapse in, of 08 and stuff. So mm. people were okay. go voiceless and things. And I thought, well, this is a great time for a guy. Yeah. And if you can imagine that you wished he lived down the street from you, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. and that, you know, um, so that became a whole reimagining of, and all you really left with is a title which was a great title um, and a new character. And, and like you said, a new uh, introduction to people that don't remember, but the general conceit of it, of a guy helping people yeah. uh, was, was sort of intriguing um, and inspiring. The, uh, the genre of, of um, revenge or justice, if you will, yeah. comes up a lot with us because I love it's my, uh, one of my favorite genres. <laughs> yeah. And um you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of like vigilante movies from the seventies and eighties. And, yeah. uh, and, and so it, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a nice modern way of saying, no, this is what would happen now. And, yeah. uh, you know, well, you know, it's funny. My favorite is redemption, right? I mm -hmm. like, you know, um, 16 blocks, magnificent seven, yeah. um, even equalizer. If you knew the backstory, you, it's sort of redeeming the dark past of himself and, Changing. So those always, those are those are very human emotions that we that inspire us when we read about them when we see them. You have you can. Um, I remember there's a line in Sixteen Blocks. It's a big redemption story, which is you know people don't change. You know, seasons change, dates change, but people don't change. Well, people do. People yeah. we, we always want to believe that people do. A bad mm -hmm. a guy did a bad thing could be do a good thing. Yeah. Um, those, those are the movies I used to love to watch where, where, where that I came away with that feeling that there's hope, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's goodness, even at, even in violence, there's goodness. So um, that, that attracts me, I think, uh, to storytelling. And and I gotta admit, my my dad loves Equalizer the movie. He he won't stop talking about it. I told him I was like, "Hey, we're gonna talk to Richard Wink." He's like, "Oh my gosh!" I was like, "Yeah." But I th I think like one of, like what you were saying earlier about like the especially with Vamp and stuff like the side characters and the humanity of things and like really I think that's what helps make Equalizer you know stand out from you know the pact and everything like that as such a a good action film and and. I mean, even like, you know, Expendables 2 and stuff like that. It's like the, the ones that you, actually you care about the characters and that's when the action is going to work, you know, as opposed to just things blowing up and everything. And you have uh, to populate it with people like that. The, 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 the movies that are, are more one notey are, you know, your hero or whatever doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. But in Equalizer or even Expendables 2, which I remember writing the whole thing about the people in the mine and the you know and the and the, and the new equal the new expendable getting killed it was emotional as opposed to there's a bad guy over there let's go kick his ass um yeah. and let's see a lot of good action so if you can add if you if they're not easy you know to come up with a, a you know a, a guy try to be a security guard or a girl that gets her ring taken or the you know the, the young russian prostitute who's stuck and stuff like that you have to populate it with real people 
and then it makes it better. And that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons uh, Expendables 2 is my favorite of the Expendables. So, yeah. you know, there's there's a reason for that. Well, and fun fact about that Expendables 2, that was the only one Expendables movie. Corey and I actually saw that together in the theater. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we paid money. We paid you money, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you got something there. Yeah. Um, really quick. Magnificent Seven is is it's one of my favorite Westerns of all time. I'm mm-hmm. Steve McQueen is I had his poster on my wall from, I think when I was eight till yeah. 38, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, daunting experience, intimidating. Yes. Yeah. Well, daunting in that um, I had already finished equalizer two. So I was in good standing, you know, with the team. <laughs> and when they called about it, I was finishing, um, uh, one, uh, my only draft of the Jack Reacher uh, picture, which, you know, then went off t- into other hands and other people. Um, and uh, they asked me to come down to work on Magnum Seven for, for uh, four weeks. And I ended up working for 17 weeks uh, because they're, when you get these movies and you're friendly with the uh, creative team, which is Denzel and Antoine and, the producers i i don't know about other writers but i can't just like go in and like fix a scene i can't do that i have to re- i have to look at the movie as a movie and the move the script that i got was a mess and it had all kinds of weird relationships and and characters that didn't make sense and um especially denzel's character and chris pratt's character um and i and to to, to whatever Whenever it was originally conceived, and it was it was uh, uh, Nick Bizzolato who wrote the original draft, which I had never seen, by the way. And that's one of the weird ones was that I came in and I sat with Denzel and I said, you know, um, there's a weird thing in here where you are and this and Chris Pratt's character are fighting over a woman and you get into a fist fight. And so I said, uh, you know, you're you're black and 50 and he's white and 25 or 30 and it's three years after the civil war i just don't see that being real he goes you're right throw it out now so now chris doesn't have a character and uh and ethan's character i went to brooklyn and sat with him and i sat with vince and i sat with chris and i so you it was daunting is that it was sort of cobbling yeah. together this new team of magnificent sevens and and then about i want to say maybe a week into shooting they mentioned that uh, that Nick Pizzolatto, who I'm a big fan of, had written the original draft for Tom Cruise, and I said, well, "Can I see it?" And they gave it to me, and it was like a, like 200 pages. You know, it was like wow. But it was there were things in it that you had to have in the movie, and I said, "You, what are you guys doing? What happened to this?" You know, I mean, I see this, and this is kind of like a novelistic thing, but it's so beautifully written, and there's so many moments in here that you need to put in there so yeah yeah that was sort of my job and i just stayed on the set to the to the end and and just saw so it was daunting and it was hot and rainy and lightning and stressful and everything else but it came out amazingly one of those movies that was difficult and um but turned out pretty good it's beautiful too it's a beautiful shot beautifully shot film yes yes and i think westerns are are so tricky nowadays because um i mean those were a staple of the yes. the fifties and sixties and seventies. Well, here's the here's the thing. Antoine Fuqua <laughs> loves movies, right? He's not a, Clearly, a, a yeah. just a, a a guy who shoots shoots things. 
Yeah. He loves movies. He watches movies. I mean, we would sit in Louisiana and just watch Westerns. That's cool. Hell Rider to this, to that. Oh, and just, great. just look at, you know, what, you know, soak it in. And, yeah. and he's able to probably, he's just a, a great visualist and a great, great director. What are you what what are you working on now? Are are, are there any projects you're currently uh, on the docket? Yes. Well, I have a movie coming out uh, in August called uh, The Protege. Stars uh, Michael Keaton, Sam, oh. Sam Jackson, and Maggie Q. Oh, cool! Heard, heard of them, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, it's um, it's a it's a good movie. Uh, it's um, it was a script I had written many many years ago, so it was one of those that someone pulled out of the drawer somewhere, and and uh, it was it was a pretty solid script, ten twelve years ago. I and uh, Martin Campbell directed it, so he did a really oh. fantastic job. So nice. that's coming out in August. Um, Equalizer three shoots in Italy in May. Nice, uh, the fantastic. Of that, um, and it's a whole different um thing and um and other than that um you know uh you know i'm just trying to decide what to do next uh, well and then you know we're going to be wrapping up pretty soon but is are there any genres that you haven't written in that you would like to to dabble in in the future yes i, I don't know if they're genres i think they're stories of um I'd like to I'd like to write sort of a quieter story, a human story, a road story, a road mm -hmm. movie. Um, uh, I don't know what it is yet. I mean, sometimes I, I come across ideas and things, but um, you know, I got I've kind of fallen into this actiony kind of you know thriller thing, and yeah. um, um, writing action's hard and and um, and and a thankless job, really. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, people don't read it. In scripts, I tend to write it more visually, so so people like it better. But um, um, I think I think ultimately, I like this sort of. Um, and Dick Donner and I had a a, a movie that we were almost going to make, and it was a it was a Goonies esque movie um, that um, we really loved. And uh, so I may go back to that in uh, in, his, in his honor and uh, um, and finish that, maybe direct it. Please do, because we always need, as not just a, a fan of those movies, but having a seven-year-old son, and we yes. need more movies for kids that um, can expand that that curiosity and imagination. Yes. And you're I mean, right. You brought up, say that again. I said, you're right. I mean, there aren't any. It's funny how they're not. They're, they seem to skip that. It's either it's they're really, super kiddie or they're, you know, they're too mature. But yeah, yeah. there was a, a great time in the 80s with like Monster Squad and the Goonies yeah. and stuff like that, where like, Cloak you know, you could, yeah, Cloak you could be, dagger. you know, 12 year old kids and there was like a slight element of danger to it, you know, yeah. and everything. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so sanitized now. But those movies were so big for us. I mean, we were that age, you know, and I was like, wow, I can have adventures. My imagination was fueled by all of that, you know, and I, I hope we see something like that in the future. Pixar is doing it, then, but no one's mm -hmm. making live action movies. And I think they can. And I think there's an audience yeah. for it. I know, like you said, you have a seven year old, but you, you can make those movies like Goonies where the adults can laugh and, and be entertained as much as the kids. Yeah. And that's, that's really the art of those. Side note, um, I've, uh, I'm week one into a five week long 
Greek mythology immersive camp mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm running, uh-huh. where literally each week is a new story and the kids train for the story and then they go on an adventure on the wow. fourth day. And wow. so li- last week we had um, the Amphora and uh, Pandora and the Jar oh. of Hopes, right? It's beautiful, right? And it's all scripted out with actors and et cetera, et cetera. Wow. 40 kids that I'm dealing with and and uh, all the quirks. But uh, what's what's been reminded me of all of this is the beauty of imagination. Yes. And it, it comes back to your movies. Um, the beauty of allowing yourself to believe something that you know is not real and it know, you know it never could happen. But once you open your mind to it and how beautiful that is to experience that feeling of like the minute you let go, the, the minute you believe there could be a Santa Claus, the minute you believe there could be a vampire, the minute you believe yeah. any of those things that we know don't exist mm-hmm. really makes you feel it gives you a great feeling inside, in my opinion. That's an amazing thing you're doing. And you're probably going to produce a lot of storytellers out of that. And a lot I of hope it, so. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I don't, I don't think there's enough of that. Um, storytelling is a lost art. And I think I, yeah. I read a lot of scripts. Um, they ask me to rewrite or whatever. And they're, a lot of it is just storytelling. It's just, just, you know, if you tell enough stories, you tend yeah. to, you tend to want to, surprise yourself, surprise your audience, elevate it to, to some degree. Um, and you don't see enough of it. So I hope, I hope, I hope that uh, your crew there becomes uh, enamored by, by what you're doing and, and continues on that, that uh, tradition. Thanks. I hope so. I, I'll yeah. tell you one side note. It, it was, it's a beautiful thing uh, when the kids had free time, seeing so many kids reading books. Yes. And I'm like, whoa, because there's no tech involved in this, nope. you know? And it's a, it's a six, uh, almost seven hour day for the kids. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's congratulations. That's really just, I'm inspired by that. So that's, great. thank you. Well, we'll just know that, uh, we've, we've got, this is all over the country, these camps oh. and there's hundreds of kids that do it. Um, so the, the future is looking much better than much brighter, uh, yeah, <laughs> much brighter than what you see on Netflix for kids. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, thank God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Richard, th- this is like, this is so awesome. Uh, get going trip down memory lane and uh, catching up with you and finding out all the stuff you're working on. Thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, you're welcome. I was a blast. I really, yeah. and um, you got a new fan. So oh, right man. on. Well, thank you. And I, you have a new fan of, of vamp. Uh, I, I'm sure there's not too many people out there that are, you know, just seeing it for the first time in 2021, but Man, we're going to go love on it for four hours uh, right after this. And I have nothing but amazing things to say about that film. And I hope that more people go out and find it. So thank thank you for giving it to us. Thank you. You're welcome. 35 years later, it's amazing. So thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot. We'll stay in touch and uh, hopefully see you down the road. Yeah. 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 All right. Have a good one. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Richard Wink. And, as always, thank you for your support.
I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.